Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, Read a Song of Ice and Fire, episode 146, Brienne 4 in A Feast for Crows. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. This is a great episode. This is a fantastic... I don't know if it's a great episode, but this is a great chapter, right? We are joined by a couple of other hosts, the Talking Heads of the Whispers. <laughs> Not the Talking yeah, Heads, the band. The that would be sick. Heads. Yeah. Oh, that would be so sick. Seriously, that David would be Byrne once in a lifetime, once you know? But we do come upon yeah. some psycho killers yeah, in this we do. chapter. And we do get water flowing <laughs> underground <laughs> in this chapter as well. Oh my god. <laughs> this is actually an iconic chapter. Like what I was agree. the what year was the Davos Fingers a Song of Madness polls on Twitter where everybody suddenly rode for Nimble Dick? Once upon a time, friends here in the fandom, Nimble Dick became an iconic hero for for a season of a song of madness, the March Madness poll that our pals at Davos Fingers run. And he we were trying to get him to everyone was trying to get Nimble Dick to the top, you know. He didn't get there that year, but I do think that really opened people's eyes, though, to the glory that is Brienne 3 and Brienne 4. I was just Mm -hmm. telling my husband and you tonight that (laughs) my favorite 10 chapters of A Song of Ice and Fire, I could at least tell you eight of them off the top of my head, and it's Brienne 1, Brienne 2, Brienne 3, Brienne 4. You know what I'm going for here. This is a great run of chapters. This is... Nimble Dick and the sadness, the crushing, horrible sadness. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's, I think, a really dense chapter that tells us a lot about Brienne's character, but also speaks to a lot of the things going on in the story. Like, Nimble Dick, I, I know he's he's kind of a meme, but also he's a little more than that, you know? Yeah, I think it's also a really, really great predecessor to our chapter next week that we'll be covering, yes. right? Uh because you get all of those looks at broken men, and we'll mm. see some of that in this chapter as well, kind of the the precursor before that chapter. But next week's chapter is going to be more special than just being the broken man chapter. I mean, that's just, that's one thing. The broken man speech chapter is obviously iconic for so many reasons, but it's going to be made even more iconic when we're joined by our friend Sam of the Rainbow Guard. Yes, I'm so excited. I really love the things that Sam has said about Brienne, even before we started this Brienne read-through, and we were like, we've got to have Sam on. we got to have Sam on to talk Brienne with us. So really, really excited for that. And, you know, he's written a lot about Brienne and about other characters in A Song of Ice and Fire. And you can find some of that over at therainbowguard.com and learn a little bit more about Sam before we have him on next week. Yes, absolutely. So be we sure got a lot try. of guests coming on. We actually do. This is not the first one. We haven't, you know, Sam is just the first of the <sighs> Rainbow Guard. This is a tease. Yeah, this is a wonderful tease of the Rainbow whole Guard. Melee, a whole tourney of... This is this is the Lord Commander of the Rainbow Guard, I guess. That's right? true. To start us off, I think starting so. off strong. We can't tell you the other cloaks that you'll you'll see and hear from, but you're going to find out soon. They're good. Yeah. I promise. I promise. Brienne, Brienne is actually going to join. No, I'm joking. Brienne's with us every episode. Oh my god, we got Brienne of Tarth. Ladies, <laughs> they Brienne of Tarth, them. David Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> Talking heads, Brienne of Tarth, 
Again, once in a they lifetime. This is a once in a lifetime. Oh my god. All right. This must be the this must be the place. Well, I love y'all. Speaking love y'all. of naive melodies, let's talk about another another thing that we're doing. Well, <laughs> hey, last month we had a really great time talking about Nymeria for November with our friends Ashea from History of Westeros and AK. Uh, from YouTube channel of the Lord Commander, Alicia Kingston's YouTube channel. And it was a blast. We had so much fun. We got to talk about actually some stuff that is resonating in this chapter. I didn't Mm. think it would, but there are a few things that I kind of thought of and remembered. So I'm glad to have gotten such a fun refresher. If you are a patron over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, $5 and above the stranger tier, you get bonus episodes every month about A Song of Ice and Fire, His Dark Materials, and sometimes other books. For our December episode, we're so excited to announce that we are going to be doing a different song. A different song. Not of Ice and Fire, but A Song of Achilles. We're going to be doing The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. I'm so excited for this. This is my book. I pushed for this one, and Eliana let me. She said, you get to have it. Yes, I will give you this thing. <laughs> well, it's not just this, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep little things under wraps. But yes, I'm I'm excited to do this book because also, I mean, Chloe's been talking it up. I know that other people have spoken to the virtues of this book already in the past, and it's always been on my list. So I'm glad to finally get to read this and close out 2021 with this book and with Chloe, I mean, hopefully I read other books, right? Like, there's there's also other, there's yeah. time to read more books, but I'm just saying. What if there isn't enough time? <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be traveling over the holidays, so I hope I get some time to read, you know? I think holidays are a great time to read. They are. It's cozy, you know? Curl up with a hot mug of tea or cocoa or something read a book yeah some nog get some nog, nog you've been ya. really pushing like this nog like close all like we're going to drink eggnog and like you know do our brunch our patreon brunch which yes besides a bonus episode every month for patrons in the $5 tier and above our patrons in the $10 tier and above get access to our discord and and our brunch slash happy hour. You do not get access to our eggnog. You have to get your own eggnog. Yeah, B-Y-O-E-N. And this month, we're so excited. We always joke that over at Discord in the voice channels, we play reindeer games. And Eliana and I have decided just now, just recently, <laughs> just, actually just very, just very recently. Just before we recorded, we were like, we're doing it. We're doing reindeer games. The theme this year, December 18th, 1 to 3 p.m., is reindeer games. There will be reindeer games of a sort. Show up. You're going to be surprised. It's going to be a holiday miracle, and I'm excited. It's going to be laid back. We're just going to play reindeer games and have fun. Yeah, no one has to present anything unless, I don't know, you want to make a reindeer game i don't know (laughs) it's holiday season everyone's gonna be pooped you know we're just gonna vibe we're just gonna hang out in the chat come and go as you please drink be merry do whatever you want lurk i don't know just hang out yeah hang out that's gonna be this month it's on a saturday it's saturday december 18th from 1 to 3 p.m eastern time 
Yes, yes, we will be there. We hope you will be there if you're in the Thunder tier and above. Come check it out. You know, come check it out. Patrons get their own private RSS feed where their bonus episodes load right up. Certain tiers get early release. Plus, the Discord is honestly a riot. It is. It's a real riot. It's out of control. It is. It is. Well, in terms of not as great news, it's it's like okay news. <laughs> It's a holiday schedule. It's medium news. Yeah, it's a holiday schedule, right? And, you know, yes, you get reindeer games, but no, you don't get a historic materials episode at the end of December. But you do get two of them at the beginning. You have all been naughty. Yes. (laughs) You've all been a little too dusty. And... (laughs) You have all been so naughty, and you do not get HDM for Christmas this year. (laughs) But you do for January, when you turn over a brand new leaf... Your resolution is that you're going to get two episodes of His Dark Materials in January, right? One at the front, one at the back. Hit it from the front, hit it from the back. (laughs) That's going to be... That's what we're doing next year in 2020. And we're going to be joined by our good friend Cassidy, who is a fan of A Song of Ice and Fire as well, but a bigger His Dark Materials fan. And I, uh, I'm excited to kind of chat with them about his dark materials in the new year, because we're going to be finishing up the Amber Spyglass in 2022, just in time for the final series of the hit HBO experience and BBC experience, his dark materials. Yes. Told you guys, you thought I was going to talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> but no, she did not. Um, we're talking about different book adaptations that are mostly pretty faithful for people who actually like the books so anyway if you like the books watch it watch it we also are starting a new pov right we're gonna finish brienne in january and we're hopping on to some new some new beginnings jumping into Mm -hmm. some beginnings with our friends so this could be the start Uh, they actually sing that at new year's in that movie you know it's on point, on theme. Yeah. We're not going to tell you. Not doing POV. HCM, we're doing HSM. Oh my god. No, we're not doing High School Musical. <laughs> That's why we're not doing it. Uh, no spoilers on the new POV. Y'all gotta wait. Nope. Y'all nope. just gotta just wait. they theorizing already, you know? People used to theorize about the books, now they theorize about our next POV. It's all gone too meta so, at the Discord, I'm yeah. telling you. Too meta. Too meta. It has. So yeah. Well, we have some exciting things lined up for that new POV, but we also have some things right now, right? We got some emails and tweets of note. We haven't covered a few of those in a while. Yeah, we got an email from our good friend Britt, aka the Queen of the North, over at Patreon, and she messaged us and said, Hey, Canon Girls, longtime listener, never time messenger, sometimes fangirl tweeter of the podcast. I came to your pod a year ago, have been listening to characters in somewhat random order, depending on my ADHD whims. Same, I feel that. This has led to the happy coincidence of me just finishing Jamie as you're releasing Brienne. She's my favorite character, so I started listening to her apps as you release them as I finish up Jamie's episodes. Oh, that's fun. Seeing Jamie end as Brienne begins has me see George really created the most beautiful dichotomy between these two and the lessons they teach each other. 
In the end of it all, Jamie, I believe, will come to show Brienne the honor in breaking a vow if done for the right reasons. While Brienne shows the disillusioned Jamie the honor in keeping a vow, even if that vow appears futile. Thanks for all the laughs and great content. Ah, I love that. I'm so excited that they get to read in the order they want. There's enough out there that you guys can read yeah. whatever the hell you want. How like or listen, you know, you can listen to Jamie and then come over and see what hypocrites I'm being in the next, <coughs> you know, POV. <laughs> I mean, that I'm is being part of serious, I mean. Yeah, that is part of why we like did the POV structure, you know. We were like, yeah, people after a while can choose their own adventure. So, yeah, go to page 627 if you want to hear Chloe not cry about Jamie Lannister. <laughs> Listen to it in any order you want. Truly. <laughs> Listen to it from back to, from like the most recent episode to the first, whatever. Go backwards yeah. with us. <laughs> and yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, me neither. Um, never going back. If I look back, I am lost. I'm lost. Lost as shit. <laughs> but uh, I, I like, thank you so much, Britt, for this email slash message. And yeah, there's a lot, I think. We're going to touch a little bit on that idea of honor, but in different ways this episode, it does come up. Yes, honor. Not just the horse. Not just. Well, let's gallop on that horse, right? Let's get up on that honorable horse real quick. And yeehaw our way over to the lightning round. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. We're going to start our lightning round off with Samwell 2. The trip to Bravos is a hellish one and nothing Sam says can console Gilly. Jamie 2. Jamie and Cersei do their own version of battle and Jamie schools Loras on Kingsguard lore. Cersei 4. Cersei enacts chaotic decrees during council, like ordering assassins on Jon Snow, tries to steal spicy secrets from her mirish lover in the eve, and then adds a little seduction to her evening playlist, convincing Kettleblack to do her bidding. Are any chapters as busy as Cersei chapters good for her? <laughs> they just, lots going on there. Lots going there on. There is. That was a storm right there. What of my storm? What of my wrath, Cersei says. Indeed. Reindeer games. <laughs> Shut the fuck up! Reindeer games of thrones. We should have fucking called it. Re it's not too late. It's reindeer games of thrones now, everyone. It's reindeer games of thrones. You know, edit it. Put it in there. You can do yeah. this. No, no. Uh, I'm leaving it right here. <laughs> the Iron Captain. Victorian emerges as the newest combatant in the throne game, and we learn some of his backstory. He gets a boner for his niece, and he starts to think about a new plan. The Drowned Man. A queen's moot is turned into a nightmare's moot. Brienne 4. Brienne must not flinch in the face of terror at Cracklaw Point. East of Maidenpool, the hills rose wild, and the pines closed in about them like a host of silent gray-green soldiers. Love the introducing prose, right? The, uh, the beginning prose of George in these chapters has been gorgeous. I thought Kat's prose at the start of her chapters were really, really good when we just got through them, but this is pretty good. This one is uh, very beautiful and really sets the stage. It shows the landscape, right? Uh, the war's torn through the riverlands, and it's apparent as ever, the trees encroaching, fallen and standing soldiers. 
And as we go through this chapter, it breaks down. Uh, the environment breaks down. Everything becomes kind of in ruins or covered in moss or mud and pine needles. And as we get into Brienne 5, they end up reaching a land that's so poor in resources, wealth, and land that the war has barely even touched it, right? There's not enough for the soldiers to want to go after or for their commanders to tell them to go after, which kind of makes me think about Brienne's journey because she's kind of going after no winnings, right? Mm -hmm. She is seeking something for no winnings at great cost to herself and those who aid her. The only thing that there is in it is honor for her. It's just like this real sad decrescendo as everything starts swirling around, like from here on with Nimble Dick. Mm -hmm. The land mm -hmm. is showing us so much. It's telling us. It is. It is. And it's, as you said, it's a great way to understand what's going on, not just outside in the environment, but also in inside of Brienne. She's searching for a lot on this journey, honor, meaning, and... Right now, they are following the coast, right? That's that's where they're searching along. They follow Nimble Dick's advice. They're trying to keep out of sight of the bay. The villages grow smaller, and they sheep. They seek shelter at night. Nimble Dick Crab sleeps with other travelers in a common bed, while Brienne and Pod share a room. Dick jokes that if they shared, it'd be cheaper, and she could just put her sword in between them. But Brienne doesn't trust him enough. She tells him, trust is earned. Like gold. But Dick says she'll need to trust him when the road gives out. If he had wanted to take her gold at sword point, who is to stop him? And she's like, you don't have a sword? <laughs> and then shuts the door, remaining silent until <laughs> she is sure he has left the hall. Because he might be nimble, but he is no Jamie Lannister and no Mad Mouse, not even a Humphrey Wagstaff. He is scrawny, ill-fed with rusted old armor and a nicked dagger. You gotta feel for him, and later when she does give him the sword, oh man, it's so touching. Very touching that she's like, alright, I trust you enough to give you this fucking piece of metal. Yeah, and to let <laughs> you moving. also, like, come into this with me, right? Because, uh, yeah, it didn't, doesn't work out, right? Yeah, he's also not, like, a very reassuring character, I get it, you know? Like, he's kind of, like, the singing every few minutes and not taking things seriously or answering questions straight. I could see we're traveling with this man for more than three days. May great on you. That's all. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. All the, and the, like, looks at her chest. I'd be like, mm, no. <laughs> I will deck you. <laughs> A lot of their conversations, right? It's just, like, them speaking and it's just Brienne replying with no. And it doesn't seem like... She ends it there because we go into her, like, thoughts, but that's it. She just goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that. That's a I mood. do love that. Yeah, the dialogue is scarce for her. She's very quiet. She's very reserved and guarded. Uh, but not as much with Podrick anymore, right? She's mm. starting to really develop a relationship with Podrick, especially because she does not trust Crab. She later asks Pod on the road to be her guard when they have to run out of inns later on the road and shelter in rocks or in ruins. He offers to kill him if Crab tries to mess with him. She's like, whoa, 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 that's a 10. Bring it back to a 5. Bring it back to a 5 pod. Don't fight him. Wake me if he tries anything suspicious. The next day, she catches Dick in her saddlebags while she goes to make water. He finds only flour from the cook at the Seven Swords, and she tells him, I keep my gold on me. You're, and he says, I was only checking to make sure you have the gold you promised me and that you weren't going to cheat me. 
Brienne's like, hope you're a better guide than a thief, because you suck at stealing, buddy. Suck at stealing. Yeah, he's... Actually, he is a better guide than he is a thief. Anyway. He'd make a great tour guide. He did find he did find the person they were looking for, you know. In he the told end. her so much lore, right? Yeah, like, that's too, true. On the way, oh my god, he was a you're great right. Tour guide. He actually would be a really good tour guide. Oh man, that was his calling. Shit. And Died I mean, he young. provides. Yeah, he provides entertainment. You know, he as you said, he often sang as they went along, Sings. which maybe it's like entertaining when you pay a person. Hmm. Uh, when you want that. to be sang to? Yeah, when you want to be yeah, serenaded. and Sing that? She's like, you are actually not the talking heads. No. Um, we're, they're going there. They're going to go see them. And she suspects that he meant to take her off guard and charm her, often asking them to sing along. But Pod is too shy and Brienne doesn't sing. And we have this, we have this great line. Did you sing for your father? Lady Stark had asked her once at River Run. Did you sing for Renly? She had not. Not ever. Though she had wanted. She had wanted. I love the trailing off she had wanted and where it falls in our other ladies in the story that have been saying it, right? Like Catelyn crying out that she wanted versus Cersei's crying out during sex that she wants. And also just how it sits against that Brienne always craved that approval and that kind of it's it's like that unconditional love that feeling of being unconditionally loved and cared for and safe and home and that while Brienne you know seems to love her father to an extent and who he is and he obviously seems to love her to an extent to let her go off on her journey without trying to stop her I, I just think it's so sad that her want here is that feeling of that unconditional safety and love that she hasn't felt necessarily in her own body that lack of judgment and it's i love that you brought up this line and that she'd wanted comparing it with cat and cersei arianne also has her own moment of i only wanted i wanted right <laughs> and and it's so interesting i didn't realize that we actually had this moment also in brienne's chapters we've talked about it in cats and cersei's and, and arianne's and it really manifests in a lot of different ways and a lot of it 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 is tied to gender in many ways. It's tied to power and what's accepted, right, for for Catelyn. I mean, we covered all that, so I'm not going to rehash it all. And Cersei will get there more one day, but obviously she... There, there's a sort of bloodlust involved in that, too, as we find out. And then with Arianne... I'm not, I'm not convinced she knows what she wanted, but it, part of it is that she, I think, wanted, as you're talking about, right, that unconditional love, that parental approval... Right, she wanted yeah. to be Princess of Dorne, and she wanted her father to see her as Princess of Dorne, and and all that to prove herself. And Brienne's kind of like on that journey too, right? Both of those POVs we get for the first time in this book, and those same lines, right? Of both of them wanting for them, it's sort of wanting to go beyond what they're allowed to do or expected to do as women, what they're permitted to learn and do. For as Brienne, she wanted to have. The freedom to do this thing that is often feminine coded without being mocked. She had wanted to sing. And I think there's another loaded aspect there too, right? Especially within this chapter, which is about legends. She had wanted to sing. She wanted to perform the songs. And this chapter is a little bit about performing the songs too, but in a different way. 
And there's that aspect of her wanting to be able to do the things she cares to do, be a knight. Yeah. And also there's toxic masculinity in that she can't sing, you know, songs happily. And we kind of see that since Nimble Dick has been rejected from society in some manner, like he's either on the run from uh, being like a broken man, as we'll talk about, or, you know, it's kind of interesting that he's on a horse next to her singing happily and she can't. She can't. Yeah. Not if she wants to be taken seriously as a knight. Mm. As, you know, a person in this skin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it a completely point. contrasts with what her society says that she can do and be. Like, oh, you want to be a knight? Well, you can't be one. Yeah. Speaking of when Nimble Dick sings, when he wasn't singing, he spoke of tales from Crackclaw Point, as Chloe said. Best tour guide for the rest of this chapter. And talks about how they had the blood of the first men in their veins. He tells his two customers Captive audience. Yes, captive audience. (laughs) (laughs) About how the Andals tried to take Crackclaw, but they bled them and drowned them in the bogs. The Darklands, the Mutants, and the Celtigars had all tried to rule Crackclaw Point, but the people knew their land more than anyone else and could vanish into caverns, hiding. The one they weren't fighting... Those who sought to conquer them, they would fight each other until some champion brought peace to the point. Lord Lucifer Hardy and the Brothers Brune and Old Crackbones. But the crabs were mightiest of all, especially Clarence Crab. Crackbones made me think of Breakbones. Me too. Me too. I I was thinking about it. There's nothing else to really chase on that, but it made me think about it. Brienne doesn't really believe that any of this is real. She's like, Clarence Crab never existed. But she lets it slide, telling him of her own local non-existent hero. Sir Galadin of Morn, the perfect knight, a champion of valor that the maiden herself lost her heart to. She gave him an enchanted sword as a token of her love, the just maid. Galadin only unsheathed the sword three times. He refused to use it against a mortal man, as that would be unfair. I feel like there's something there about the Azor High thing, you know, three times mm-hmm. receiving it from a maid, but I don't know if I could piece it all together. Anyways, uh, I, I just wanted to point out that this is another callback, right? We were talking about Galadin and likening his legend to Sir Galahad, that perfect knight that Shiloh had told us about from Arthurian legend when we started Brienne's chapters. Yeah, it's so it's something now that sticks out so hard whenever I see it. Mm-hmm. Sticks out so hard. Just like, like Dick, who laughs at all of this. And he says, <laughs> yes. What's the point of having some magic sword if you don't bloody well use it? Why am I imagining him with Shrek voice? Uh she tells him <laughs> honor. Honor is the point. The point is honor. And there's something here that really embraces the next Arya chapter, right? The Arya chapter that comes up in a couple chapters is Arya mm. giving up needle. And Hmm. Brienne has been rejecting this sword. She has been only taking it out in secret, rejecting this part of her. And now she's embracing it uh, with Arya coming up and having to hide that part of herself. And I feel like this is also probably a little bit of foreshadowing that Arya will also get to embrace that sword again, you know, fully in that part of herself again. Yeah, that's a great connection and i think there's quite a bit right and you're going to talk a little bit more about those aria connections later this chapter and i will say regarding i don't know why you think of dick as shrek if anything nimble dick is donkey and brienne's kind of shrek mm-hmm. oh my god Anyways. you know what right 
I would also say, uh, thinking about Arya's chapter, that chapter also has all of the creepy faceless men and the whispers, like Jacquin says, she must whisper to her- him or something mm-hmm. like the to, you know, understand more of what she's learning. And then she, you know, is taking on all the black and white stuff. So it's also kind of spooky because Brienne also, as she ascends up the cliff to the ruins, to the whispers, and you get all below the caves and caverns. Creepy. I just feel like the chapters actually mirror each other really well. Well done, George. Well done. Dick says, my dad can beat up your dad. And by that, he means Clarence Crab would uh, kick the shit out of Galadin. And Brienne has a smile at that. She tells him Galadin was no fool and actually even slayed a dragon. But Dick is unimpressed, saying Crackbones also fought a dragon. Brienne asks, alright, what Crackbones did when Aegon and his sisters came? And Crab says, well, duh, he was dead by then. Aegon sent his sisters up to Crackclaw, and the lords had already heard of Harren's end, so they laid their swords at Visenya's feet. And they were dragonmen from that day forward. They bowed to their own lords and the king. The real king, not Robert. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting thoughts and foreshadowing. So he goes on that they were crabs, brunes, bogses, all on the trident with Rhaegar. And in the Kingsguard too, you have a hardy, cave, pine, three crabs, Clement, Rupert, Clarence the Short, and we have a line of, we're all good dragon men up Crackclaw way. Which is also like Donkey. Donkey is in a relationship with a dragon. God. I love that Clarence Crab is called out as the tall one, right? And then he's like, Clarence the Short is still pretty tall, though. <laughs> I loved that. It made me smile. And as we've already talked a little bit about Clarence Crab last week, I do want to say we talked about those Tyana and Magor kind of vibes with Visenya. And Gregor, right? Even some undead mm. Gregor vibes, especially with the heads. And the fact that now we have a mini Clarence crab, it kind of represents Sandor, right? Like you have the taller, the mountain, mm. and then you have the hound. And here he said that Clarence the Short was a Kingsguard member. So interesting. 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 I mean, especially because my boy is splattered across these pages, right? Like, we get a bunch of the hound yes. in name in this chapter, and then next chapter, it's Sandor City! Pew, pew, pew! I'm so excited! Pew, pew, pew! She's never gonna shut up about this! Yeah. Pew, pew, pew! You guys! Well, uh, we even get some, yeah. I think, hints of him towards the end of this, too. We'll come back to that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely agreed. And I can't wait to come back. I love coming to Sandor. And oh. I'm sorry. My God. Whoa. Who said that? So you're telling uh, me you're a Sandor fan. I, I do love this exchange of the local stories. I love the folklore. I love the my imaginary person could beat your imaginary made up person up. That's very funny. Uh, and, and I also forgot about all of the elements of the dance that took place in Cracklaw. Right? The crabs and the brunes join the blacks and assist Wallace Mooton, the Lord of Maidenpool, in retaking Rook's Rest. Uh, Cracklaw also seems to just like their blonde warrior woman, right? Visenya, Brienne, Rhaenyra. Maybe they'll love Danny, right? I'm expecting we're going to hear some Cracklaw nation, you know, everything out this way. Rise, maybe, for Danny. We don't know. Maybe it'll split because they seem to have quite a bit of emphasis on how they were with Rhaegar, right? At the Trident. Allegedly, Rhaegar's son is mm-hmm. coming to Westeros. Allegedly. but That's true. We'll see. That's yeah, true. For now, they shelter in a fishing village at night, 
Brienne paying a few coppers to bed in a barn, claiming the loft for her and Pod and pulling the ladder up. Dick teases her, saying she best get her horse up the ladder, too. And he also reminds her that it's going to rain and that her and Pod, oh, they're going to be all snug while poor old Dick freezes downstairs. <laughs> poor nimble Dick. He's I, like, yeah. so, he's so bummed. I do feel bad for him, but yeah. I get it. I mean... You just can't trust him, apparently, but you could have. I mean, as a woman, I do get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm not just going to invite a dude on the street that totally has a dagger on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't have Oathkeeper, to be fair, but... but. I also don't really know how to fight, so... <laughs> There's that. that. That would be a problem, too. Yeah. Even if I had Oathkeeper... I am not I would probably be like overpowered, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot in this fishing village about kind of the environment we're seeing, right, as they go along. Uh, we, we see a lot of wet bogs, moss, green marshes, forestry. The homes that are described kind of as tree-housey and floating on the water in some of these places. And we get all these mentions of the first men coming here and later. We'll even see a weirwood. Uh, and it makes me think of the north or maybe the neck right? Just in the way the land is. Uh, and it makes me think, which which land wasn't, but they likely had children of the forest flourishing here, right? Long, long mm -hmm. ago. And there's also something interesting in the way that Dick is talking about squishers throughout the chapter that kind of mm -hmm. mirrors this in other aspects. There's something there we'll come back to in a bit. And of course, there's the thought of like Galadin being an Azora High figure, as you kind of mentioned, that it, there's all this legend and lore, right? It's all like uh -huh. the same exact stories. And I think telling stories is like a big theme of this chapter of those local yeah. folklore aspects, right? Like it's all about the same story with different names for the same thing. And we're talking a lot about this over at His Dark Materials right now. No huge spoilers, but uh, in some of these chapters about uh, creatures called the Mulefa, a people called the Mulefa, and about how they have the same things, just different words and different actions to describe those. And Galadin is to Clarence Crab here for them, right? Yes, absolutely. The local legends, right? And mm -hmm. those are valuable too, right? It tells you a lot about a culture and what they value. There's something of that, as you're saying, right? There's a lot of magic here. So we see that there's a that people here still value that sort of mm -hmm. magic and mysticism. Yeah. He makes his bed on a pile of hay below them, below the loft, and Pod and Brienne yawn and curl up. Dick calls up to her and says, I never knew such a mistrustful maid, and Brienne thinks of yelling back, I was not always wary. She then thinks, When I was a little girl, I believed that all men were as noble as my father, even the men who told her what a pretty girl she was, how tall and bright and clever, how graceful when she danced. It was Septa Rowell who had lifted the scales from her eyes. They only say those things to win your lord father's favor, the woman had said. You'll find truth in your looking glass, not on the tongues of men. It was a harsh lesson, one that left her weeping, but it had stood in her good stead at Harrenhal when Sir Hyle and his friends had played their game. A maid has to be mistrustful in this world or she will not be a maid for long, she was thinking as the rain began to fall. While the lesson that Brienne learns is painful in its own, like, different way, it kind of reminds me again of Sansa's current journey, 
as as Brienne's remembering her own and like the dispelling of those myths that we grow up with. I know that like we Brienne we all know is actually in fact very tall. So I don't know why Septa Ruel like said this thing. Like that's like an objective fact, right? She's probably as we can see pretty bright and clever and arguably pretty depending on the beholder and I don't know. Septa Ruel seems like she sucks and is dumb, but it's the moment that Brienne learns that people say things to win her father over uh, and her claim. And it, again, it's just like Sansa, despite many, you know, actually attesting to Sansa's beauty when it comes down to it, like it, it's all still a stand in for her claim and how this objectification really cuts across for females in Westeros. And that is part of her being her father's heir. Right, that that pressure of that she somehow still is his only surviving child, mm-hmm. and that she still does have a duty if it so falls to her. And there's also something in it. I don't know. You might know this term, but having something under your belt to fall back on. Right, you mm-hmm. know this term, this idiom. I wanted to go to college for the things I wanted to go to college for. I wanted to go to school for the things I wanted. My mom always said. You should have this under your belt, though. Choose something more sensible so that you have something under your belt just in case to fall back on. Uh, That was a phrase commonly tossed around. And it's like the worst phrase because it's like, have you ever been told, follow your dreams, but do it less. Follow your dreams, but don't, you know, but make sure you don't just in case. And there is something like that. Like, she's not free with that lifestyle, but she still has to protect herself and protect her honor you know, of being a maid in case still that cup falls to her and she's forced to come to do that duty. Yeah, that's a great point. She's got a lot on her shoulders. Good thing they're big. She's carrying a lot, like the plot. She is carrying a lot. (sighs) Well, at Bitterbridge, she had sought out her suitors in the melee, battering them one by one. You got Pharaoh, (laughs) Ambrose, Bushy... I Bushy sucks, but I like his name. I like just saying Bushy. Mark Mullendore, Raymond Nayland, Will the Stork, that one's a good name too. Harry Sawyer, Robin Potter. Oh, I see. That this is a George shitting on Harry Potter because of the Hugo Awards. Um <laughs> that's not a joke. I'm being pretty serious. And I know. <laughs> so we have this line from that time of and when the last of them had fallen. The mother had delivered Connington to her. I am gleeful. I am full of I am full of giddy joy at this little passage. I fucking love Brienne. Uh what a great can you imagine all these men that ain't shit that you hate so much for what they've done to you? And you so get rude. to beat the shit out of them in a melee? Oh girl, good for you. And also the way this line is phrased, is amazing. And when the last of them had fallen, the mother delivered Connington to her. It's interesting because if the father is for justice, is the mother, in this instance and in other instances, for vengeance? Because that's how Brienne embraced it here, that the mother delivered her justice, which is really just some merciless vengeance. The mother's merciless vengeance? I'm just spitballing it. No, I think you're onto something because if you have to pray for the mother for mercy, right? Like, 
that means mercy isn't always a given, right? Like mercy isn't always given. It can be taken. And I think that's Mm. what we see in Kat's chapter. I love that you've like called this out because later in this chapter, right? She, it's a little bit of vengeance, right? When she, she comes up against the bloody mummers and you're talking about the mother. I mean, she had that conversation with Catelyn and she was like, when we get there, what if I see Standis, you promise not to hold me back. There is that streak of vengeance in Brienne. She's willing to do it here to those people who wronged her, like Bushy. Hey, it's just a game. It's just a game, you guys. Of I don't thrones. know why you're so upset. It's just a game, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's just sorry. a game, you loser. <laughs> you fucking loser. loser. It's just a game. What's wrong? You're not winning, son? Are you winning, son? Uh, <laughs> Brienne with like her sword in the middle with her blue sword in the middle of battle what's wrong she, aren't you winning son she deserves uh, to do that well yeah I mean he wasn't winning right Connington shows up he's held, he held a sword and not a rose this time and every blow she dealt him was sweeter than a kiss uh, poor Loris Tyrell gets his ass kicked, as you'll all remember. Uh, he was the last to face for that day, and he actually had never looked at her, which we all know why, uh, let alone ever courted her. But because he had three golden roses on his shield, that- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brienne fucking hated roses. She did. She really did. Yo, this girl has so much style. Oh. It was she pretty stylish, pretty though. Remember when Catelyn watches, she's like, wow, damn, what's going on here? <laughs> she's like, that that night won. Why are they booing? <laughs> she's right. <laughs> it's just really funny that all these guys were fighting for her pussy. And they're like, yeah, hey, fellas. Hey, fellas, is it okay to, you know chase a girl for her pussy but then pretend that she's really just really ugly and that's why you were doing it (laughs) and she's like no men love to chase pussy and some men brienne falls asleep in the present dreaming of that fight and sir jamie fastening a rainbow cloak around her shoulders oh it's gonna happen y'all it's happening i'm just saying there's gonna be a cloak around them shoulders and they break their fast in the morning the rain coming down Nibble Dick suggests they walk out and wait. Nibble Dick suggests they wait out the rain, but Brienne says, no, we ride today. The track, though, turns to mud beneath their feet, and the trees are naked, leaves fallen from the steady pour. Dick's cloak is soaked through, and Brienne sees him shiver. She feels a little bit of pity for him and thinks he probably hasn't eaten well. She wonders if there actually is a smuggler's cove, or even a castle called the Whispers. She thinks that hungry men do desperate things. I love this so much. We're going to talk about it more next week, but in the next chapter, the Septon tells her what he does with hungry men when they find hungry, broken men. And earlier, when Podrick said to her, well, I'll kill him if he tries anything, and she says, no, just wake me up and I will deal with it, Podrick. The Septon says the same thing to their group when they get their next chapter. He says, no, if we are come upon by broken men in the night, Let me deal with it. Wake me up and I will talk to them, help them pray, get them some food because they're probably hungry. Uh, And so here, just from watching Nimble Dick and when she kind of is struck with that realization of, oh, he probably hasn't eaten well. He's probably hungry. Nimble Dick, I mean, he's described as having a torn patch on his outfit. 
right? He, he's probably a broken man. He's probably a broken man from one of the sides of the war out here. He's probably on the run after leaving his regiment. Absolutely. It's a great, it's a great observation. Um, and the way that he ties into the rest of the story. And yeah, it goes to show he, he's a complex character for as little as he is in the books. Yeah, his two chapter stint. Like one and a half, one and a third chapters. Yeah. Or less. Uh, she watches Dick's movements throughout the day. Suspicious as always, and as the night falls, they're forced to make shelter among rocks. No trees are around to shade them, but at least the rocks kept the wind off. Dick says they should watch out for squishers in a place like this, and Brian's like, what the fuck is a squisher? And <laughs> Nimble Dick Crab says, they look like men. But up close, their heads are too big. They have scales, and they've got fish belly white, always damp and fishy smelling, with rows of green teeth, sharp as needles. They come by at night and steal bad children, paddling them with webbed feet. And the girls that they keep to breed with, but the boys they eat. Oh wait, sorry. He teases Pod, saying that they'd eat him raw. Pod touches his sword, saying he'd kill them, and Nimble Dick Crab winks at Brienne, saying, Alright, you try that. They don't die easy. <laughs> Poor Pod! Uh, Pod's like, what? Why me? Pod oh, just keeps God. being told you weakling throughout this chapter. But he proves himself a little. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Actually, he proved himself at the Blackwater, to be honest. But yeah. Yeah. But again, here. Pod... And who had the best story than Pod, Pod the Brick? I mean, oh my god. Pod to Rick and Morty. Is that, hey, is that what this is about? That's something. That feels like something. That could that be feels, something. That could be something. Uh, this is actually kind of fun. I'm not usually like a squisher person. You know, some people mm -hmm. are squishers. They're into squishers. Grape squishers, squishers sweet. Wait, no, I'm sorry. That was a cigar joke. A cigar paper joke. A blunt rolling joke. <sighs> squishers. I'm not into that stuff usually. I don't get into like the little creatures as much. It's not my favorite part of Aswap always. I appreciate it. But with recording November recently with Ashaya and AK and you, uh, we talked a little bit about some of the different creatures or peoples of ancient civilizations like the Isle of Toads, the Basilisk Isles. There are modern inhabitants there that kind of seem like they're from the people who carved the toadstone, which were described as remnants of a forgotten race with an unpleasant fish-like aspect to their face. Many had webbed hands and feet. Interestingly enough, there are a bunch of other people this is described exactly alike. First off, the Cranog men are almost exact to Nimble Dick's description there's the joking of the oh cranog men look like this they allege that cranog men can breathe water have green teeth have webbed hands and feet like frogs then there's merlings and deep ones the deep ones are a queer misshapen race of half men sired by creatures of the salt seas on human women and the merlings have a couple of different semi-origins first of course and actually in the chapter right before this damp hair we get exposition on the Grey King, and he had wed a mermaid and became king of the Western Isles and Sea Beyond and had merlings. Ursa Upcliff herself, uh, who was the Lady of House Upcliff during the Battle of the Seven Stars, the Andal Invasion, she called herself the Bride of the Merling King. And then we have Lorath, 
In the legends of Lorath, the Lorathi maze makers were destroyed by creatures from the sea, and folk of the Thousand Islands sacrificed sailors to fish-headed gods of which stone idols emerge when the tide is low. So, stories with names for the same thing. Again, right? Like, did some of these uh, peoples get it on back in the ancient day mm. t- to give us what we're hearing about now? Interesting, maybe. And, yeah, kind of similar stories all across. And I I was thinking it reminded me a little of what we see going on in the north with Craster for a bit and with the others of... Yeah. How the male children, though, get taken. But also, you you brought up the Kranig men, right? Who, as we know, are first men. We know that the crabs here are first men. And that the free folk culture, they steal girls from other tribes, right? And this reminds me a little of that, right? Like, is this a, a story that got passed down of the old customs uh, that, that eventually they stopped adhering to but are still practiced? on the other side of the wall or something. Yeah, I definitely think there are also some major others vibes, just the way the squishers get talked about throughout all of this. Yeah. And also they've got a fun name. <laughs> it's a good name. <laughs> it is a good name. I don't love all of like the names, but squishers, bushy. Maybe I just like shh sounds anyways. Uh, so yeah, something interesting going on there, and also uh, I feel like Pig, who we're gonna see later emerge from the wood, he looks a little like a squisher, in my opinion. Yeah, the way he's described, he looks a little monstrous. Well, right now it's too wet for a fire, so they resign themselves to the cold night, and Brienne thinks about nimble dick crab stories. That they were lively tales, but she'd met amusing men before, like Mark Mullendore with his little monkey. Like, honestly, I don't really know anything about Mark Mullendore other than, like, that he is a monkey. And I guess Brienne thinks he's amusing, so fascinating that he keeps getting brought up. He must not be that great, right? If his entire personality is just that he owns a monkey. <laughs> he's, like, one of those guys, right? He doesn't have a personality. Anyways. Um, so, soon, Podrick snores and she's left alone to think in the darkness. And she thinks, are you there, Sansa? Waiting at the whispers for a ship that will never come? Who's there with you? She sleeps twice. The second time she wakes, heart-pounding, convinced someone stood over her, only to see that nimble dick crab is curled on a rock and pawed asleep as well. It was just a dream, and her cloak got tangled on her ankles. This is stressful. Uh, she wonders if she made a mistake, abandoning Sir Creighton and Illifer, and thinks they were honest men. She then thinks that would that Jamie had come with me, but he was a knight of the King's Guard, and his place was with the King. Besides, she wanted Renly. She thinks I swore I could protect him, and I failed. Then I swore I would avenge him. I failed at that as well. I ran off with Lady Catelyn instead, and failed her too. <sighs> Oh, baby girl. Oh, baby girl. Besides, she wanted Renly. Honey, no, you don't. You don't. Both you don't you and him. I, like, made a face, like, ah, uh, you? You'll grow out of that. we read that aloud. Girlfriend. And also, who's going to tell her that she has a giant crush on Jamie's cock? Uh, I, it's not going to be me that tells her. Someone needs to tell this girl. But, Someone. you know, displace that shit for now. Whatever you got to do, Brienne, get through it. You have a lot on your shoulders. Like, 
to be honest, like, I think I was also dating an almost married man when I was 19, now that I think about it. But my God, she's taking on too much trying to prove herself here, right? Like, all she's doing she is. is trying to prove that she can be a knight, that she can be with the greats, that she can do that, that she can slang sword. But she's taking on so much, she doesn't have to prove herself to anyone. Yeah. I love you, Brienne. She doesn't. Uh, you know, you were asking who's going to tell her, and uh, I forget who it is, but at the end of her chapters, right? <laughs> That's who tells her, the fucking, like, the Brotherhood Without Banners, and, like, in the worst way possible. They're like, yeah, we caught you, and you wouldn't shut the fuck up about Jamie, so, like, you're in love with him. And she's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and they're like, mm, you are, and we're going to kill you for it. Worst way to find out you have a crush, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> what do you choose? Murdering your crush or being with him? What is this, Squid Games? Oh my god. Wait, this is it's the not... Reindeer Games of Thrones. Oh my god, this is the... We're putting this in Reindeer Games. Only ultimatums, terrible ultimatums. Chloe, Jamie or sword? Sword, every time. <sighs> and, I mean, you know... There's regarding Renly and coming back to that. There's a lot in this chapter, as we've been saying about the stories that Brienne's like learning and unlearning about the world and like the songs and those myths. And I, she's just like not ready yet to let yeah. go of the myth of Renly. She wasn't even ready when she got woken up and was told, "We're gonna kill you for liking Jamie." She's like, "No, I like Renly," uh, because like she's not ready to like replace the myth with something real. And that's a lot of what this chapter is about, right? Like her journeying between the two. And as as you all know, as we relive her life with her and also from what we've seen, she's realized reality isn't beautiful. It's not like the songs. It's not safe. There isn't necessarily honor in it. And you know what? Unfortunately, there isn't that much honor according to everyone else and the man that she wants to, which again, allegedly she does not want him so she lets Renly become this comfort story and and when I say that I mean you know he's a fairy tale like it's not mm -hmm. that he's like comforting to her right it's a story she tells of her herself about herself mm -hmm. as a failure because it's comfortable to her it's comfortable to just think of herself as a failure because that's what she's been told her whole life because there are no stories of maids like her and the ones that are kind of like her like Danny Flint like those end terribly and and it's just really heartbreaking to see how much of her story is driven by this feeling of failure and like you said like needing to prove herself and and it's very hero's journey-ish yeah this need to prove oneself it's like at least I'm failing as a knight if I fail if I am stripped of my life at least I did it as a knight very, yeah. yeah she did it on her she's trying to do it on her own terms really i is. did it my way <laughs> so <sighs> she's gonna do it she's gonna rewrite those books man she's gonna rewrite them all mm -hmm. i'm so proud of her already you go baby girl <laughs> doing amazing sweetie she is doing amazing Brienne hacking a guy with Oathkeeper at the end of the chapter. Me, you're doing amazing, Brienne. Keep it up. Oh, no, really, please Sir, keep it Sir, up. Sir Goodwin's shade. You're doing amazing, Brienne. <laughs> Did you see that, Sir Goodwin? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, the next day, the road dwindles down to pebbles, and then it dwindles down completely. 
They land at a wind-carved cliff where a small castle stands. She asks if this is the Whispers, and Nimble Dick Crab is like, no, that's Dyerden. That's where Lord Brune sits. <gasps> the road ends here, and then it's only the pines ahead to guide them. Brienne asks, how do we get up and into those pines? And Dick says, you stay close to me, which she doesn't like to hear. The Bruins of Dyerden, uh, they are distant cousins to our favorite Lothar Brune. Oh. Distant cousins. They actually rejected him. Don't awe. Don't oh. awe. Yeah, be sad. Be somber. No, I'm, I'm excited uh, about Lothar Brune. <laughs> okay. Well. As you said, he is our fave. <laughs> <laughs> he is. We love Lothar Brune. Uh, I do love that it's Dire Den, because he is kind of a bear, right? So it's like the bear man, the bear cave, the bear den. I don't know, it's sad that he was rejected from Dire Den, but I will say, here he is, appearing kind of in the background in our heads. He's appearing rent-free in this episode. uh, as uh, He's an ascending character, we've talked about that great Mm. series of ascending characters. He's one of them, for sure. He starts off, we see him in Agot. Real small at the tourney, and now look at him. Now he is an actual Feast for Crows character. But it is a great connection since he comes up in the Elaine chapters. Yes. Great point. Great point. Great crack Her chapter point. is... Oh my god. Fuck. He, I can't even fire you. I'm so annoyed. Um, I'll, I, I do think... think- this chapter is littered with Arya and Sansa, right? Like, everything yeah. pertains to them, which is really well done. That it's not just Sansa, but it's all these connections to Arya as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really, really prominent. Yeah. The steps have been carved into the rock to help the climb. They pass through walls of rock, eroded by wind and water. In some spots, there are fantastic shapes carved, like an ogre and a stone dragon. Podrick, however, notices something else. A rider ahead. A real one, not made of rock, because Brienne's like, I don't see it. Uh, following them, in fact. I'm glad Podrick was keeping watch. Someone had to. Crab says, don't squid at me. He's not to do with old Dick. He's at least not a squisher, Dick says. Very optimistic. And they can all agree on that. They climb the last bit of the climb, and when they emerge, they are beneath the castle walls. They see a face peer down from a parapet above, possibly a woman, as Lord Brune is too old to walk the walls, and his grandkids and sons all left to fight in the wars. Brienne knows this means they will receive no hospitality from the castle. Old men, women, children were not likely to open their doors to strangers. She asks Nimble Dick if he once knew Lord Brood, and Nimble Dick Crab says he may have. She looks at his raggedy outfit and sees a patch of torn fabric where a sigil may have been. He was a deserter, she did not doubt. Could a rider behind them be his brother in arms? Nimble Dick Crab urges them to ride on before Brune has wenches on crossbows, and they continue through limestone hills and streams, and Nimble Dick Crab says to stay close to him, for he knows these roads, and Brienne can think nothing but this is a fucking trap. Brienne asks, what of our rider? She wonders if it wouldn't be smarter to meet him here, with blade in hand, but she could look a fool if it's merely a singer or a Brune son. She decides if the rider still follows them the next day, she'll deal with him then. They leave, the castle growing smaller behind them, sentinel and soldier pines cropping up around them again. The floor of the forest is fallen needles, thick as a castle wall, and pine cones, softening the sound of their horses. The going is much slower in the green gloom, weaving among the trees. Everywhere Brienne looks, kind of starts to look the same. 
There's this line that the very air seemed gray and green and still. Love the Dunk connection, of course. Uh, But something about that line also reminds me of Dunk. Uh, There's actually a similar line in Ariane in one of her The Winds of Winter chapters, that the very air was green and still. But this line particularly kind of reminds me of Summerhall. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, smoke and green and stillness and who. Oh. You know, just sad, just being sad. Yeah, yeah. Another one of those legends, and I mean, a connection to Rhaegar, who was brought up earlier in this chapter. Yes. As they creep through the eerie stillness, it becomes evening, and Dick begins to sing Bear and the Maiden Fair, a much different song than Jenny's song. Uh, The pines drink his song, and they drink the wind and rain. He stops after a while, and Podrick breaks the new silence, saying, This feels like a bad place. Brienne feels the same, but she vows not to admit it, and she says, It's just a wood. There's naught for us to fear. Podrick's like, uh, okay, but what about the squishers and all the heads? And Dick laughs and he's like, oh, you're a clever lad, to Brienne's annoyance. She tells Pod, there are no heads and no squishers. Stop bonding. (laughs) (laughs) She finds herself praying that Dick was being honest about where he was taking them. They make camp at the edge of a green bog that night, but the ground is too soft, so they fight their way out to find solid footing. The next day is a lot of the same, past ruins, sinkholes, blanketed moss. Every heap of stones had a story, and Nimble Dick told them all. To hear him tell of it, the men of Cracklaw Point had watered their pine trees with blood. Her patience had begun to fray, but Nimble Dick Crab tells her that the wood is narrowing and thinning. They're close to the narrow sea. Brienne's starting to feel like she's the fool, that she should just leave, and they'd come so far... She's definitely feeling weary. Her thighs were hard as fuck and steely from riding. Jesus, Brienne, please step on me, please. And she'd only been sleeping about four hours a night, same, even with Podrick standing watch. Is that confirmation that she's as thick as a castle wall right there? Thick as a castle wall right there. Cannon, Duncan Egg is now cannon. It's It's real. It's powerful. They're powerful (laughs) thighs. I agree. And at least she was pretty sure that Nimble Dick probably wasn't going to kill them at this point. If he was, he'd have done it by now. Maybe he was looking to take them to a robber's den, though, with treacherous kin or leading them in circles, waiting for the rider to catch up with them. But they hadn't seen the rider since Dire Den, though Brienne knows that she may have to kill this rider at some point. The notion makes her queasy. Sir Goodwin had told her more than once that she has a man's strength, but her heart was soft as any maid's. We have a line of, It is one thing to train in the yard with a blunted sword in hand, and another to drive a foot of sharpened steel into a man's gut and see the light go out of his eyes. I was trying to channel that yes that I said earlier, but I don't know if that was the same accent. Sorry, everyone. You're workshopping it. It's okay. We're, You'll we find are workshopping it. it. Not that we're we'll ever going to see him again, probably. I mean, when will our reflection show? Oh my god. That, that is actually actually in this chapter, basically. Is it? Actually, it might be. It actually might be. I think I remember we'll thinking that this. something like yeah, that. Yeah, we'll come back to this and sing it. I like that this is showing us Brienne has some similar values as what's kind of been instilled in the Stark story, right? Man who passes the sentence, swing the sword in some mm-hmm. aspects, a similar kind of value. And I do also love the idea of like putting what Sandor says to Sansa in Clash that 
killing is the sweetest thing there ever is against this. Hmm. Uh, because it's not. It, it's a very different thing and a very different mindset. And we continue on and get that to toughen her up, Goodwin would have her slaughter pigs and lambs with her father's butcher. Uh, but when the butchering was done, she'd been blind with tears, her clothes all bloody. Goodwin had doubts still. He said, a piglet's a piglet. It's different with a man. He told her when he was young. He had a friend who saw a champion in the yard, but when war came to the stepstones, he saw that same friend drive a foeman into his knees and then hesitate, which cost his friend his life because his foe found a chink in his armor. Again, reminds me so much of Sandor in uh, even the butchering, right? Mm. Uh, the way that Sandor rode down Micah, mm-hmm. rest in pieces, Micah Mintz. Um, and the idea, again, killing is the sweetest thing there is. A piglet's a piglet. It's different with a man. Goodwin told her that his friend's strength and speed had been worth nothing. It had been worth less than a mummer's fart, he says, because he hesitated. And he told her to remember that. Here in the piney wood, she promises his shade that she would. She sits on a rock, holding her sword's edge, and swears to herself, I will remember, and I pray I will not flinch. So... It kind of sucks that uh, Sir Goodwin says that Brienne might not be able to kill because she has, like, a maid's heart. But I guess that, like, kind of, like, sexist comment is softened by the fact that the real-life story that he gives is actually of a man. So he's kind of comparing her to, like, this really awesome knight that he knew who was, like, amazing at fighting and and very talented and still failed. So... Maybe it's not as bad. I don't know. But Sir Goodman, just in general, though, I, I want to give him props. He seems like a great teacher because he, you know, he he falls in the same camp of like the men that Brienne realizes like, oh, maybe not all men are good like my father or maybe like Sir Goodman, right? Like he's he seems like a pretty supportive teacher and recognized her strength and skill and, and was willing to take her on as a student. Mm-hmm. Better than Scepter Rowell. Yeah. And look at her now. She's she's done amazing. She learned much more confidence from him than she did from Roel, you know? For sure, for sure. Yeah. And she lives up to the lessons, this chapter, I guess. Yeah, there's even something kind of, like, parallel in that. It reminds me a little bit of Lord Tarly, but obviously this is a much different aspect of how he used to try to make Sam toughen up. Mm. You know, the different manners in which he was like, Sam, we, we gotta toughen you up with your maid's heart, and... Uh, Brienne hearing this from Goodwin that she has to toughen her heart up in order Mm -hmm. to kind of pursue this hobby, this, you know, side gig. (laughs) As a knight. The little sketches that she performs with her friends on the weekends. Yeah, side gig turned her side hustle is now her main gig, though. This is just a night open mic. Yes, an open mic. Wow, hedge knights are just open micers. Someone should make that comic, an open mic knight, like a knight who goes around doing stand-up. Anyway. They saddle up the next day, and a castle comes upon them without warning. Ancient, tumbled down, abandoned, they've found the whispers. Dick tells them to listen, that they can hear the heads whispering. And they can. Brienne and Pod listen and hear a faint murmuring coming from the ground. It grows louder as they reach the cliffs, and she realizes it's the sea that they hear. The waves rumbling through caves and tunnels that it's carved out over time. I actually love this moment. It's 
I guess kind of small, but it's really kind of sad to me because, you know, besides the part where we kill some of the leftover bloody mummers, there's actually a lot of them uh, still left over, and Dick Crab dies, which is a pretty big deal. This is actually, uh, as we've said, a very dense chapter for Brienne and her interiority. Like, her story, same as the Stark children's POVs or even Daenerys's in many ways, it is still a coming-of-age story. Quentin's probably like similar age-ish or younger, but he doesn't count because he dies. He comes of nothing. And anyway, so this scene, <laughs> Chloe's face is just horrified. So poor Quentin. <laughs> for real, though, poor Quentin. So <laughs> this scene where she realizes... There are no talking heads. The whispers is just the sea running through the little holes. It shows us kind of where Brienne's head is at, I think, leading up to her taking out the magic sword later, right? Because despite having really deeply internalized the story of Galadin, Brienne doesn't believe at all in the story of Clarence Crab, and she's starting to like be like, eh, Galadin. Right? She she doesn't believe in the magic of this place or the things that have shaped who Dick Crab became and what he values, she's losing faith in the stories and the songs. And you can see it in the disappointment with like how mundane it turns out that the whispering is. Like when she realizes, oh, it's just the sea. And she's convinced that there's nothing more to it until later. And I'm going to come back to this. Yeah, the magic does come alight later. I love it. And I can't wait for you to highlight that for us. And I think there is a lot of buildup here, right? Like the coming of age, uh, mm-hmm. having Goodwin kind of be the background, the little inside voice here for as she's about to basically have her first real kill, right? Like not real kill and not just self-defense. Her first mm-hmm. real, you know, gutsy kill, some could say. Mm-hmm. It's very um, gutsy. Yeah. And like you said, last chapter or chapter before, this chapter kind of has her magical girl transformation go on when she uses the sword uh, for her first real kill. Very card captors, like you said, but also kind of like when Sailor Moon finally gets her vape pen that transforms her. Mm, you know? Yes. When am yes. I going to get my Sailor Moon transformation vape pen wand? I'm trying to remember one of the ones that has a sword. Um, I want to say Akazuki and Chacha might have one. Utena definitely has one. Ray yeah. Earth, maybe? Maybe Ray Earth? Anyway. One of Sailor Moon's scepters is pretty swordy, to be fair. Yeah, that's true, the way she wields it. And I mean, yeah. like, I guess Sailor Uranus kind of has like this scimitar-like yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Similar to the Dornish sword, the Iraq, Actually, in my Sailor opinion. Sailor Uranus has some similarities, too, I guess. Tall, blonde. To Brienne, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, genderly ambiguous. Yeah. I would say, yeah, absolutely very neutral. Androgynous. Yep. Amazing. Attractive to everyone. Yeah. yeah. Step on me. Actually, though. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Neptune. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> respect, respect, respect. <laughs> I am only giving respect to Sailor <laughs> to both and Brienne. <laughs> I mean, I think they they share. They definitely share. I think that's canon, too. Maybe a little. Anyway. Brienne gazes off the cliff, tying her horse to a tree and watching the waves swirl around what Dick calls the old beacon tower. It fell when he was just a child. The cliffs collapsed as well, which had stopped smugglers from landing there after that. 
Dick puts his hand on her back, trying to show her something far off with his other hand, and she steps back immediately, telling him to unhand her. <laughs> Get the fuck off me. She asks yeah, where the gate is, and then she's like, is this fool of yours the type of man to hold a grudge? And he says, well, I don't know, maybe, on account of I did sell him some bad maps and left out that smugglers don't actually come here anymore. Brienne can't imagine Dantos posing a threat, and she's like, well, we can ply him with some of your gold that I'm going to give you. That is, if he's here with the girls. The gates of the castle are rotted, half come down when she tugs at them. The iron's rusted, covered in poisonous ivy, and they look for another gate. They find one next to a picked blackberry bush that's been hacked down to cut a path to the door. Brienne realizes someone has been here recently. Dick says it must be the girls and the fool. Brienne could not believe it. Even a wine-soaked sot like Dantos Hollard would have better sense than to bring her to this bleak place. You know, Littlefinger did bring Sansa to his crumbling-ass MTV Cribs pad, though, so don't... I'm just yep. saying, don't give these men too much credit, Brienne, please. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Ugh, oh, that's so typical. Anyway, um... Brienne is filled with unease, knowing that she won't find Sansa here, but she has to look. Someone who needs to stay hidden was here. She tells Pod to watch the horses and Dick to come with her. Pod's upset, but she re reiterates the horses are extremely important <laughs> to their mission, that he's the getaway driver. I mean, the horses are, in fact, important transportation so they jerk the postern door open its hinges screaming and Brienne draws her sword the sound of the sea echoes through the castle's caverns almost a whispering for a moment she thinks she can see the heads she's like I should have used the magic sword she thinks and asks Podrick to get her sword she gives Dick the sword she was using and pulls Aww. out the ornate scabbard with its lion heads and Dick's like oh shit inside of his head but you can kind of see it anyway so she swings it around, and it's like, even the sound of it is sharper than an ordinary sword. I love that. It's so mystical. Uh, there's also a reference in there, you know, Dampere had his chapter right before this, and the line, ah. pulled at a rusted iron ring, its hinges screaming in protest. Uh, and of course, his line is, as a thousand voices shouted out his brother's name, all he could hear was the scream of a rusted iron hinge. So, screaming hinges, screaming hinges. And it is, uh, I mean, that does signal what horror is to come, because there is a lot of yes. terror at chapter's end. But before we get to that, what a magical and suspenseful little passage. You can just hear it, yes. right? Your, your hair on your arm kind of sticks up. And I, I do feel anytime Oathkeeper is unraveled, it's a masterpiece, right? It's so mm -hmm. mystical. And Brienne really respects the tools of her trade. Just like Gallad in the Just, her sword is kept only for sacred occasions, and just this once, she's swayed by the stories and song that she should use her magic sword. And if she hadn't used her sword, she would have died. She would have died here. Her story would have ended at Brienne 4. Yeah, absolutely. She It, it actually would have. You're right. And it's it's a great passage. And like you said, like the Oathkeeper moments are great, and, and how it's imbued with this like really sacred moments with, I mean, yeah. Right. Like part of the chapter is realizing, you know, honor is a horse. Cause she's like, I guess Galadin doesn't use the sword because of honor. Right. And, and she's striving to defend her own life here though. And I don't know, maybe Dick's definitely pods. 
and hopefully the future of the Stark girls and finding them. And the scene demonstrates through action, you know, what is honor compared to a woman's love, right? Like, she's like, fuck that, we gotta use the sword also. But it, it, it is a moment where you need to. We, we're coming across these big baddies in this chapter. Like, the Bloody Mummers fucking suck. Like, they're terrifying. As, as you said, right? They're kind of monstrous. And, you know, it... There is still honor in what Brienne's doing and how she moves through the world, and there is still hope. We see we see that hope come out in that she does share her regrets with Dick Crab's corpse at the end of the chapter, and I do want to revisit the quote of, like, I mean, this very moment, right? When she decides to bring the sword out in regards to the songs of, like, she, she was all like, what was she waiting for? Brienne told herself that she was being foolish. The sound was just the sea echoing endlessly through the caverns beneath the castle, rising and falling with each wave. It did sound like whispering, though, and for a moment she could almost see the heads, sitting on their shelves and muttering to one another, I should have used the sword. One of them was saying, I should have used the magic sword. And, and so for just a second, in that moment when she... Is like, it's not just the sea. There are heads. There is whispers. She allows magic to come back into her life again and, and to believe in the songs. She finds just enough faith that, yeah, it could be whispers. And yeah, the sword could be magic. And I, Brienne, can be a hero. In this light, she could be a beauty. In this light, she could be a knight. Yes! Oh my god, that's a perfect comparison to exactly what this moment is. In every light, I love you, Brienne. <clears throat> Sorry. That's analysis. That is analysis. She is graceful. I don't know why I slept her well, so she isn't. Like, that's, a, that's like what never Jamie's really chapters are about. Dance, let's be real. Not really dance. That's true. But, <sighs> but Jamie has. He's like, well, wow. this is amazing. What a woman. <laughs> she keeps Crab to her side and they slip in. Past the collapsed shell of the stable, she sees steps that head to a dungeon, a yard of weeds and pine needle, and even a slender young weirwood with dark red mm. leaves sprouting up. A sapling, it's described as. I love this. This is the most mystical part, right? In this place that is so steeped with not only dragon lore, but first men lore and even magic. We have a weirwood. That is scarce here in the south. Weirwoods are not common, common in the south, sprouting through the roof of these ruins. And it's a young one. It's not an old one. We don't know how young. We don't know how old, but it's a young one. And it's kind of like Brienne's here in the middle of what's feeling like a fucking pointless journey, right? So this weirwood is kind of mocking her in some sense, like, lol, they're not here. The girls aren't here. The Stark children are not here. But it's also this sign that's symbolic of the Stark children. The sapling, right? It's a sapling weirwood, a young weirwood, uh, just like Sansa and Arya. It's super symbolic of the Stark girls. And it's a sign of hope, right? Like, keep going. Yeah. Man. Keep going on your journey. Keep going. The magic's still alive. And Sobbing, she took another step. Pretty much. It kind of is. What's going on in her chapters? Beyond, she sees the remnants of a fire. Someone had been here last night, or tried to signal to a passing ship, and Dick calls out, Hello! And Brienne hushes him. He says, 
someone may be hiding, and he calls again, and Brienne sees a sapling sway. And out comes a man, caked in dirt with a broken sword. She knows this face. It's Pig, with a Y. In a heartbeat, a second man slips out as well, in an iron half-helm and stained red silk, a throwing spear in hand. A third man drops from the weirwood. It's Shagwell. He swings a morning star, then all of a sudden at Nimble Dick Crab's knee, and it explodes into blood and bone, and he laughs. Ow. Yeah, he's really creepy. He's the horror aspect of this chapter, right? He's like hopping around in his gross motley with his morning star Ugh. instead of a fool's flail. Um, it's definitely very haunting when you think about it, and... Shagmal comes forward, completely remembering the map Dick gave him, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brienne tries to protect him, but Shagwell brings the spiked ball straight down on Dick's face. Shagwell dances from foot to foot, spinning his morning star, taunting Brienne, saying she must want them, saying he's going to fuck her up the ass, ugh, pump her full of motley seed. Timian, the other one, reminds him, like, you can't actually impregnate via the butt hole just so you know shagwell what a good lad you know going out like a hero here brienne remembers suddenly passage for three and she realizes these are the three the companions are now much fewer though timian shrugs and he says they all went their separate ways after she bit vargo hope to death <sighs> good times rorge <sighs> tried to slip out at salt pans and yerswick went down to old town interesting so we're gonna see yerswick again in sam's oh. plot in the winds of winter I never thought about that till now, that we will see him come back. And maybe he'll be fighting the men from the Brotherhood who went south of the Mander to look for food. I don't know. We'll talk about that in a minute. Interesting. They suck. Shagwell, ugh. Shagwell's like that guy who's like, oh, a woman looked at me, she must want me. And it's like, no, that was disgust. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that Brienne is coming across all of these brave companions. And I know we've kind of thought Mm -hmm. and wondered where her plot's going to take her. And it also makes me wonder if she's going to go back to the Reach during this back to Old Town area and if she'll finish Mm. off the rest of the brave companions. Because as we see, as we get to the end of her chapters, she does a couple more in. um, A couple more men that have been in her past, you know, on the road, she does them in. But I wonder if she'll be the one to kill Yerswick too. Yeah, it's kind of, again, like hunting down those men at the melee. Like Arya's list as well, you know, her list of the melee and her list here, and this is her list. That's a great comparison. She's Mm. got a blank list, or a blank page. Brienne's gonna write your name. (laughs) Blank space, Chloe, blank space. Whatever it's called. (laughs) Darn, oh no, I've been found out. How will I go on? (gasps) As a fake fan. Credibility shot. I'm out of honor. You're wasting my honor. The rest of them hoped to board a ship at Maidenpool. They tell her that the mountain killed the goat piece by piece, a hand one day, a foot the next, stump by stump. But a bird then called him to King's Landing, so he just finished it all off and rode off. And Brienne comes clean, saying that, Alright, you know what? I can't really convince you all that I'm a sister, so so I'm looking for a Stark of Winterfell. They tell her, like, oh yeah. We know that girl. She's with Sandor, allegedly, and they were. she was headed off to her uncle's in Riverrun, and the hounds stole her. They heard it from Beric's bunch. He was looking for her, too. We have a line of, we chanced on three of them after Harrenhal and winkled the tail from one before he died. 
I want to know who they killed. Maybe it's nobody, right? Like it could absolutely positively be absolutely no one. No one important. It could just be red shirts. But not a real it's curious. Person. Yeah, an RPI. But it, it's curious that we don't actually know because timeline-wise, this would have been like after the battle at the end at the Septry, end of ASOS, right? Before Feast. Uh, and that there's also the idea that the Brotherhood just split up too. So maybe they got some of the outliers from the Brotherhood, like the Stoneheart mm-hmm. faction exists, and then there's the other faction. So maybe it's not just Edric Dane and Stoneheart faction, but maybe there's also the split. I do think because Yerswick is in Old Town, it is likely that there might be a meeting between Yerswick and the men searching for food out on the Mander, Greenbeard and the Mad Huntsman. Yeah, I, I could see that, that they've split up, and we'll probably see, I mean, right, a lot of roaming bands of outlaws, so... Yeah, wouldn't be all surprised if some of the ones. Yeah. So later, they heard that the hound uh, slew three of the mountain's men at the inn by the crossroads, and this is a great thing to bring up here to remind us of things that come later. Rorge pulled the info out of the innkeep before killing them, and Brienne realizes they're trying to distract her as they edge closer. And they would actually edge her off the cliff if she let them. And she's like, I don't do edging. And she tells them to stay back. And they threaten her some more with various fucking of holes of her body. They say if she gives them gold, they'll let all of them go. Uh, once they've each fucked her, though, like a proper sex worker and a silver for each fuck. Or they'll take the gold and rape her anyway, and then they're like, what's your choice? These choices Mm. suck. I hate this reindeer game. No chance and no choice right there. Mm. But she does make her choice. She decides to fuck them up with Oathkeeper. First is Pig, through the throat. She thinks, I did not flinch. Did you see, Sir Goodwin? Timian's next, but Shagwell covers her back, and she's surrounded. Shagwell says, she's mad with moon blood. I'm so glad that his death was the, the, the most drawn out of the three. Choose one and kill them quickly, she thinks. Not doing so hot, being surrounded. But then, suddenly, out of nowhere, a rock hits Shagwell in the head. Go, Podrick. Yeah, he has proven himself. He's battle-worn a little. And it turns out, I think, like, Pods climbed a wall or something, right, to throw rocks to create this distraction. And it reminds me a little bit of, like, when Brienne and Jamie are escaping some of those, like, people from Riverrun who are definitely named characters that I've forgotten (laughs) because I'm a fake fangirl. Uh, And she throws, like, rocks on them to distract them. And by rocks, I mean, like, actual boulders because she is very strong. But it reminds me of that. Yeah, that's a great point to bring up. And, and this is kind of a mirror to Tyrion, too, right? When he saved Tyrion at the Blackwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the distraction of the bad guy again. Yep. Pot's a great sidekick. Yeah. He's very plucky. I love him. I love him. He is. The blade became a gray blur. Timian wounds her in the shoulder, but she slices his ear and half his cheek off first hacking his spear apart and plunging the steel into his belly. He claws at his belt for a dagger, so Brienne chops his hand off. That one was for Jamie, she thinks. Get him, girl. And to be fair, that yeah. also makes me think of Tyrion. That one was for Jamie. That's a very Tyrion thing to say, right? That's something Tyrion hmm. would think while doing something. That one's for my brother. And hmm. also, 
there's something very interesting in the way that she slices Timian's ear and face because A, isn't that the injury she gets later? Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. It's the exact injury we get in the very next chapter in Queen Maker for Marcella when she loses ah, her ear and part of her face. Also in Dorn, it's point. Timian who's Dornish. Really fun connection. And huh. I mean, there's even, there's a lot of the stuff we talked about earlier with uh, what we learned from Nemeria, right? The the trip with the Roinar and going to the Basilisk Isles. But we also have Garen of the Croyane in the next chapter, right? Of the orphans of the Greenblood. Yes. Lots of Dornish yes. connections in the end. Could Brienne go to Dorne? Are we going to Dorne? Are we going to Dorne next? I mean, we could we're be. Out of, we're out of Dornish characters, aren't we? We're doing Sansa next. I thought that was clear. That's right. That's true. We were discussing. We're doing Sansa next. Um, that's that's a great connection. And like what? She even gets a scratch on her face too, right? So a little mm-hmm. foreshadowing. And I mean, the scene, right? I, I think it's funny that you pointed out it's, a, it's similar to something Tyrion would say, which kind of, you know, puts... Brienne in like the position of maybe one of Jamie's siblings and we know how Jamie feels about his siblings. And, and he also gets slashed now that we mentioned that Tyrion's face. Yes, yes. I was just talking about Jamie fucking his sister, but you know. Oh fucking shit. Jesus Eliana. <laughs> Sorry I missed that well, one, apparently. It's okay. It's okay. A lot of things go over my head. Well, I'm I'm gonna talk about a serious thing again. And so at the same time Right, as we were talking about, we get this magical sword, the scene of Brienne's heroism itself. It's actually not very magical, right? Like, it's really gruesome. And the language of how she, like, goes through Pig and then, like, she pulls and slices through him in order to block, right, like, one of Timian's spears. It's very visceral. And so we have Brienne finally getting to, like, live up to her values and the songs but it is a question, kind of, right? Like, a, of what cost? Like, maybe it is better to live, right, just as a maid rather than as a just maid, the sword. Uh, and, and that is something that she's always wondering. Like, would would she be happier being just as a maid? And we discussed in the previous chapter, and probably not, but also... Living a half-life rather than dying yeah. a full life. But also, yeah, is it better than becoming a broken man, right? Like... Yeah. With all this killing. So. Then, you know, starting off as the hero and seeing yourself become the broken man by the end. Right. Like with the smiling knight. Like with the Joker. That, yes. Yes. That that too. That's where George <laughs> got that it. from. I mean. I mean. <laughs> you live long enough. Probably. You see yourself. Oh my god. <laughs> Die the villain. Um, Timian begs for mercy for her to finish him. And she does. When she turns, Shagwell is looking dazed on his knees, trying to stagger to his feet with the morning star. Another stone slams him in the ear, and he tries to crawl away, crying, I yield, I'm too droll to die. He begs and whimpers, and he says, I make men laugh. And she says, no, you make women weep. He asks if that's his fault and says, women have no sense of humor. Kill him, Brienne. Fucking kill him right now. He's fucking... <laughs> I'm getting heated. <laughs> You're mad with moon blood. I'm mad with moon blood. Instead of killing him outright, like I'm telling her to do, she instead tells him to dig a grave beneath the weirwood, which is working smarter, not harder. I agree. Like, <laughs> she, she... I'm not doing that shit. This was your fault, Shadow. Yeah. Uh, I agree. 
He's like, <gasps> I don't genius. have a shovel, though. And she's like, you have two hands. Dick face. Get with it. Uh, and then she thinks, too. She's like, that's one more than you guys left, Jamie. You'll be fine. <sighs> it's so sad yeah. that here, Nimble Dick is bleeding out right at the Weirwood. And then he gets buried uh. in front of the Weirwood. So earlier we had that line. That the way that he told the stories, it was as if his people watered their pine trees with blood. And here, Nimble Dick is watering the weirwood with his blood. Technically a sacrifice at the weirwood, right? A blood sacrifice to christen her sword. Wow. That's interesting. Just saying. Uh, maybe activating that tree even. Activating, yeah, maybe it's going to grow real big now, motherfuckers. Also, yeah. like, Brienne can probably see everything happening. Cool. Yeah. Or is that a metaphor for her, the tree? Is she the tree now, you know, being christened also and fed the blood? I mean, it does feel like she's not a maid anymore, even though, like, not by Hymen, but just by, like, you know, sword. Yeah, with I mean, there's sword and there's blood involved, right? So this is absolutely very much a, I mean, this is a mm. loss of it. Innocence, yeah. I, this Innocence, and like you said, it, it's interesting to think of it like that in terms of her virginity, but in terms of killing. I mean, her and Jamie was just over the pants foreplay. <laughs> dry humping. They were dry humping with the swords. This yeah, is the I real mean, deal. I mean, she's orificing it, you know? She's like, Ugh. I was like, I guess not. But I mean, like, in terms of the innocence thing, right? Like, it's yeah, interesting to... That's like, moreover what I meant. Yeah, like, it's yeah, innocence yeah, loss. Yeah. Like, this is... <sighs> this is very much so her having to shed a skin of hers that had been on for so long, right? Yeah. And she, like, really goes all in on it. Because, as you said, she's working smarter, not harder. Because she makes this man dig the grave. Uh, uh, and and then kills him right after, right? Because he's like, also, why bother? Leave their bodies for the crows. He's like, I don't fucking care about my teammates. She's like, it's not for you, you idiot. The other two can feed the crows. Fuck them. Dick's gonna have a grave. He was a crab. This is his place. And night falls by the time Shagwell is done, and then Brienne sheaths her sword to gather Nimble Dick Crab into the hole. And uh, there's those Sandor vibes, right? Because she makes... I mean, yeah, she makes Shagwell the grave digger, not herself. And one more time, to reiterate Chloe, smarter, not harder. But there is, like... Also, like, besides the Sandor the echo, this thing, this line of the ground was soft from rain, and... Even so, it took the fool the rest of the day to dig down deeper. So obviously, in a literal sense, the fool is Shagwell. But I love that phrase of dig down deeper because it is a common phrase, I would say, in like everyday speech referring mm -hmm. to introspection, right? Like you got to dig down deeper inside yourself to find whatever, the strength to do, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of this chapter has Brienne thinking of herself as the fool, on this journey with Dick Crab, like, what the fuck am I doing here? And so she's digging down deeper enough to realize that line that everyone loves from this chapter. <laughs> I'm sorry that I never trusted you. I don't know how to do that anymore. <sighs> Sobbing, screaming, throwing up. That's analysis, right? I'm just, it's so sad. That's analysis. This is so sad. I'm so sad right now. My god. It's sad. It is sad. Because she wanted to. She yeah. wanted to trust him. But, I mean, she gets that thought, like, maybe I should have stayed with Illifer and Creighton. 
And it's weird that she says that to me because I'm like, those guys, I mean, they were fine. They were harmless. But I also feel Nimble Dick is similar in that. However, he's not. Like, I mean, he was able to fool fools and able to fool these men and get away with it till he didn't. I mean, he caused trouble. He had debts. He was, you know, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean he's a bad person. And she was just starting to, like, trust him. Like, she was just starting to trust him. And it comes out of nowhere that Shag will just crunch. Bye. That, like, yeah. morning start of the face was, like, within two minutes. Yeah, she kind of led him on this... Wild goose chase. On this goose chase, as you said. And he kind of dies for it, and it's like, fuck. And, yeah, I, I mean, as you pointed out, when she was like, oh, maybe I should have stayed with Creighton and Ilfer. I mean, the same line applies to them, right? Because she didn't trust them. She yeah. doesn't know how to do it anymore it's just now she's really facing that with nimble dick crab how would it have gone right if they had accompanied her this way well if she had gone with them she probably would have ended up with the mad mouse and found sansa but uh, yeah she actually would have succeeded in her in her nimble quest dick and nimble alive. dick crab nimble dick would be living his best life probably. he would have run or- off like i fucked them <laughs> yeah uh, but nope that's not a whatever thing. whatever He's dead. He's dead. And Brienne puts him and in his, Sansa's in not his grave. Found. Sansa's not found. Nimble Dick's dead. Brienne puts him in his grave, and she knows that Shagwell will take his chance now. Sure as shit, she hears his breathing before Podrick can even warn her, and she has a dagger up her sleeve that she pulls to counter his jagged chunk of rock. And despite what you think, she says dagger beats rock every time, which, George, rock, paper? Scissor? Oh, I was thinking steel type. Oh yeah, steel type. type beating rock. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's one of George's influences, as you know. Oh my god. <laughs> Only Pokemon Ruby Red. <laughs> oh, Rhaegar's Red Ru- Rhaegar's Ruby Red version. <laughs> or, no, just Ruby version. Uh, anyway. She knocked aside his arm and punched the steel into his bowels. Laugh. She snarled at him. He moaned instead. Laugh, she repeated, grabbing his throat with one hand and stabbing at his belly with the other. Laugh, she kept saying it over and over until her hand was red up to the wrist and the stink of the fool's dying was like to choke her, but Shagwell never laughed. The sobs Brienne heard were all her own. When she realized that, she threw down her knife and shuddered. Podrick helped her lower nimble dick into his hole. By the time they were done, the moon was rising. Brienne rubbed the dirt from her hands and tossed two dragons down into the grave. "'Why'd you do that, my lady? Sir?' asked Pod. "'It was the reward I promised him for finding me the fool.'" (sighs) Ah, This is so good. The tension here is amazing. It's so parallel to Arya's kill, right? The very in- conversation they just talked about where Sandor and Arya killed three men uh, that came up between the three men here that when she killed and she said is there gold in the village how much how much Uh, it's exactly that that culmination of all the frustration and stress of this journey and what they've been allowed and not allowed to do and having to give away parts of themselves they don't want to give away too soon (sighs) absolutely and and it's really smart of George to have primed us to remember that scene earlier with that with that reminder of Arya and 
It's it's an emotional scene, but like you said, like it's absolutely, absolutely reminiscent of that moment. And I love that in this version of this playing out, Brienne's final words to Shagwell are commanding him to laugh. Mm-hmm. Playing up how he says that he is very funny, but women don't think his jokes are funny because they allegedly have no sense of humor. And, you know, I took that really personally. And... but the but it's because it's jokes they're not really jokes right they're just like violence or sexual violence but it's almost this really what brienne does visceral like manifestation of when people tell you to ask people who think that they are joking but are actually just being very offensive to explain the joke and then as they explain it you know it like becomes very clear it's not funny and brienne's turning those same jokes on Shagwell as the audience and performing them the same way that he would as a man or whatever in what's assumed to be a more violent sphere, right? The, the men are supposed to uh, to inhabit this violent sphere in Westeros and she turns it into a question of like is it that women have no sense of humor or like do you just fucking suck and I, I'm just gonna tell you the answer he like sucks <laughs> <laughs> he sucks <laughs> No, it's true. And and that that violence, the sexual violence that they like volley at her, just the, you know, we're going to tear open whatever we wish on your body. It's gruesome and it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not something that the other male knights face constantly when they come upon trouble on the road, like being assailed by, you know, Another person with a sword is one thing, being attacked is another thing, but the uh, the sexual violence and the threats that she experiences are very, you use the term visceral, very visceral. Yeah, it's awful. It's enough to like, how, how do you go on trying to be a hero after hearing that vile, you know, that vitriol spit at you? How do you go on every day trying to be like, oh, I'm the just maid? Takes a lot. Yeah. And and that's the thing, right? That's why I I find in this chapter, I'm like, oh, it is an interesting sword name, right? Because you said, how do I go on being the just maid when, again, everyone's telling her she's just a maid Mm, and can never be anything more than that. And she's like, fuck you. (laughs) Laugh. (laughs) Laugh. Is it funny now? Is it fucking funny now? How's my moon's blood now? This is the Joker story you were talking about, right, Chloe? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Some people either Chloe's die the hero about. or live long enough to see themselves. Um, you know, I, I do think there's also a little parallel. Brand. There's a little parallel with this, with the Victorian chapter that just came two chapters ago, uh, where mm. we get the story of him beating his wife to death at Euron's command. And the, the, you know, mm-hmm. no tears kind of thing going on there. It's kind of like anti-parallel. And it's also so sad because like as she breaks down from killing this guy, it's not only from killing him in defense, but killing him was to protect Nimble Dick's honor. You know, yes. she was protecting Dick's honor. Yes. The honor of yes. Dick. Yes, the honor of his nimble dick. And and the honor of this place, right? This is his homeland. Mm-hmm. And these people just came here and, like, I don't know, attacked him on it? But this is something that I think George is interested in. He, he kind of explores this in a couple of other stories. So that's a great, great call out of why he's, she's doing it. Yeah. And that's why she makes Shagwell dig the grave, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Well, she hears laughter behind them, whips out Oathkeeper, expecting more of the brave companions, but Worse. Tile Hunt <laughs> sitting atop the wall, legs crossed, laughing. Oh, is this the Joker? Um, oh, but he thinks she's funny. He's laughing. He's laughing. Anyway, he calls this a waste of gold, and she says, "I keep my promises." So she's just, I guess she's just fucking loaded. Brienne's out here just making it rain on corpses. He tells them, Lord Randall bid him to follow them in case they find Sansa Stark. Took to follow the wrong people, Highland. And asks what she'll do now about the girl. Brienne says that allegedly she was taken by the Hound on the Trident if what the men said was true. I mean, kind of. It was half true. <laughs> just the wrong girl. We end the chapter with... If I find him, he'll kill you. Or I'll kill him, she said stubbornly. Will you help me cover up poor crap, sir? No knight could refuse such beauty. Sir Hyle climbed down from the wall. Together they shoved the dirt on top of Nimble Dick. As the moon rose higher in the sky and down below the ground, the heads of forgotten kings whispered secrets. Hmm. <sighs> What a great last line. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye, nimble dick. Oh no. What is this feeling? Is it tears? Am, am I, I feeling sorry for other people? Is this real? <laughs> is this, am I going crazy? This, am I feeling things? Uh, oh, sorry. I just got emotional about thinking about, you know, it's, it's it reminds me a little and the night, a little of that line of and the night was alive with the music of dragons, but I completely fucked up the line. But it's kind of like that. But it's not, it is actually magic and it's not actually magic, you know? But it is at that same, exactly, because it's like then in the meta sense, that is what the magic is too. You know, like it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be fire and relor and sparks and magic to be magic. Like the fact that this castle that people used to live within and thrive within is standing here with the weirwood growing in the middle of it out of fucking nowhere, a young weirwood. And that like yeah. the the elements have carved this castle out, right? Like the caverns below the castle weren't always there. That was carved out by the tide. So like it yeah. it's nature's magic, it's the land's magic. The land has reclaimed it. Nature is healing. A weirwood is growing. Nature <laughs> is healing. healing. Like and yeah, and now Nimble Dick has gone to become part of that cycle, right? Like that circle of life. Like he's fed the weirwood, and just that she would believe, you know, as in his death, and think, oh, it's the king's whispering secrets, and not thinking it's the sea. Yeah. There's something really beautiful there of how, by believing in that in that story, that's how she's keeping Nimble Dick Crab alive. Because no one's gonna sing songs about Nimble Dick Crab, but believing about his family legends, that's that's a way to honor him, as you were saying, referring to honor. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, big that sad. very beautiful, Eliana. Very good way to put it. Uh, Nimble Dick Crab. Who knew? Um, he should've won. Out for a real motherfucker, you know? Uh, he should've won. And now's the part of the episode where we discuss how, hopefully... In an alternate universe where we relaunch the books, Heil Hunt dies instead. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, like, we don't if, say what, that. Then what if we'd feel bad about it, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's not like he's, he's still going to try to make us feel bad about it when he does die, because you know that bitch isn't going to live. There's something that reminds me of, like, Arya Hota being like, I feel like I'm going to have to kill Ari's 
Oakheart one day, right? Because Brienne earlier was like, I feel like I might have to kill Howard one day. Well, on the day that she does, I will be here as her support friend. I'll be here to support her. <sighs> oh, God. Thanks for tuning in to Brienne 4 with us. I had really fun. I had a really fun time talking about this one. It's a sad time. I'm very sad. I'm yeah. somber. Um, and it's going to be sadder, but fun, but sadder next week, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's going to be, yeah, a lot more emotions before we get to the end of this POV. Absolutely. We just, like, we're only halfway. We've kind of just started. We're, we we're are just halfway, begun. though. We've only yeah. just begun. To yeah, we are halfway. White lace and promises. Oathkeeper. Oh, that could Oathkeeper. be. Okay, yeah, that could be. <laughs> we're going to yeah. workshop it. Workshop it for next yeah. time. Jury's out. <laughs> laugh. <laughs> I, should, I should start doing that to our listeners. Laugh. Please clap. Big Jeb Jeb vibes. Oh my god. Thanks so much for listening in this week. We will be back next week for Brienne 5 with our good friend Sam of the Rainbow Guard. Excited to have him on. Yes, and if you want to let us know your thoughts about Nimble Dick Crab or anything else, Brienne or Song of and Fire or whatever... Be sure to let us know. You can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N, at gmail.com. Or you can shoot us a tweet or a DM at girlsgonecanon on Twitter. Or follow us there, right, to, to keep up with when we get our new episode with Sam. Yes. And if you want to keep up on those episodes as they come out weekly, make sure you're subscribed to us on a streaming platform that suits you best, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast. You name it, you can find us there. And, of course, you can always find us on our Patreon, where all of our episodes are hosted, but also all of our bonus episodes in the Stranger tier and above. And, of course, please remember, this month we are doing something very special, very different. We're going to be doing The Song of Achilles! A much different song. A song song of Achilles. A-S-O-A- uh it, it's close it's close it's very close yeah i'm so excited to read the song of achilles with you all and i hope you at home take a read yourself listen in it'll be great and don't forget if you are a thunder tier or above patron over there you can join us for brunch december 18th 1 to 3 p.m eastern time it's gonna be some reindeer games of thrones as always these <laughs> reindeer games as always, I've been one of your hosts, Chloe. I've been another one of your hosts, Rudolph. <laughs> You've got Chloe, Eliana, and that's all you have. I don't remember all the rest of the reindeers, only but fucking Rudolph. But do you and Allison are small? <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> Bye.